Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. This is episode number 65, My Editing System Explained. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks, guys, for tuning in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. The Filming with Josh podcast is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. And if you are new to the podcast, I want to encourage you to hop on over to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh, and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is an continued discussion of the podcast as well as just a place to come post questions, share videos, ask for feedback, uh, and just basically join conversation that has to do with all things video, video editing, business, business management, contracts, etc. So if you are new to Filming with Josh, I want to highly encourage you to hop on to the Filming with Josh Facebook group and ask to join the group today. It has been a little while since I've done an episode and that's really just down to, I have been swamped, and which is a great thing. Summer is usually my busiest month, and here in 2022, that has remained consistent. <laughs> um, I have been doing an enormous amount of projects, which is great. Um, it has just been it's just been awesome just doing so many types of projects too. I've been traveling, I've been doing some outdoor projects, I've been doing some projects for um, different medical agencies and companies, I've been doing projects for uh, corporate companies and engineering firms and projects for lives that are live streaming related, shooting um, a bunch of stuff for uh, a local uh, agency here in town as well, marketing agency doing a lot of projects for their clients. It's just been an awesome awesome year and an awesome summer. So that's why I haven't uh, come out with a podcast episode in a little while. Um, But today's episode is going to be all about my editing system. I recently um, upgraded computers and wanted to kind of go through my computer and and why I chose the computer I chose. And then also I'm going to talk today about my RAID drives, uh, a, a new RAID system that I'm currently building that's not finished yet, uh, my storage drives, my field drives. I want to talk about everything I do from basically the moment I capture footage till it is uh, exported and, and what all I use uh, in between and, and how I use it and why. So that's what today's episode's about. So if you are interested in editing and are either working on building a new system or thinking about building a new system, or maybe you just want some uh, some ideas on how to tweak yours. Hopefully you'll get some ideas from this podcast. As a disclaimer, I want to say that nothing I say today is right or wrong. It is just my way of doing things. It's what works for me. You might have a different uh, a different brand of computer or a different process for how you store footage or transfer it or, or whatever. And that's fine. This is just what works for me and what I've been doing for the past um, 12 years. And so I'm I'm, I like it. It's pretty bulletproof by me and uh, or for me, I should say. And so this is how I do things, but that doesn't mean that it's the only way. With that out of the way, let's get into the podcast. So I'll start with the computer I just bought. Um, most of you who follow Filming with Josh who are on the Facebook group probably know that I'm an Apple guy. I didn't used to be. Um, in fact, I used to kind of think that Apple was like a cult and that everybody just loved their products just because it was popular, <laughs> the popular thing to do. But uh, the honest truth is when I started doing outdoor television, uh, I was required to work um, on Apple. And before that, um, I had a custom built 
two custom built PCs, um, desktop PCs, and I had uh, um, several I had owned several uh, Windows based laptops as well. And so that was what I was coming from. And when I started working with Apple computers or, or Macs, um, it, it took a little getting used to. And I didn't think I was going to like it, but I actually loved it. I loved how simple the, uh, the system is. I loved how much easier it is to find things or to do things on Apple, whereas Windows always felt like you had to have uh, a rocket scientist degree to be able to um, get things done, whereas in Apple, everything is just really simple. At least for me, that's that's just my my viewpoint. Um, so that's a big part of the reason why uh, after I started working in in, uh, in outdoor TV and was required to, to use Mac, that's a big part of what led me to want to make the switch myself because I, I realized how simple it was. And then the other reason was um, every every time I owned a PC, whether it was a custom built PC, an off the shelf PC, a desktop, a laptop, doesn't matter. Um, I always had problems. They always froze on me, or they would randomly crash, or they would have a sound card that would just quit working for some unknown reason, or a program would just start crashing and not working anymore. It just seemed like every time I turned around, I was trying to troubleshoot something. Whereas uh, with Apple and and Mac computers, I had the complete opposite experience. Uh, My last set of computers that I had from Apple were a 2014 fully decked out laptop, 15 inch laptop uh, or MacBook Pro. And uh, and then I had a, a 2015 fully specced out 5K iMac. And both of those machines I just replaced. Um, and they, but before I replaced them, they were, uh, the MacBook Pro was eight years old and the iMac was seven years old. Um, so they were, they were getting up there. And in the eight years I owned the MacBook Pro, I, it may have crashed one time ever or froze one time ever. And um, same thing with the iMac. I, I think collectively I've had maybe one crash and one freeze over the last seven, eight years, which is amazing. And I, I've never really had to troubleshoot anything with those computers. They just always worked. And that that's huge, right? When you can come home and, and get to your office and be able to fire up your computer and know it's going to work no matter what, day in and day out. I mean, you you can't put a price on that. And I know that when you look at Apple computers and you compare them to PCs, they are more expensive. But to me... And typically, because you can build a you can build a PC to be really expensive. So that's not always the case. But generally speaking, they're more expensive. But to me, Apple computers are worth the extra cost just because of the bulletproofness, just being able to rely on them. The reliability is huge. And I know that's not always the case. You know, you have outliers, but I would say across the board, most people who work on Apple systems would would tell you that a big part of it is the reliability because they just work. And and again, I, I think as a working professional, you, you really can't put a price tag on reliability from your computer because it is such an important part of your, your business if you do this for a living. Um, so that is that. That's why I've worked with uh, Apple computers pretty much the the majority of my career. Um, after I moved away from the the PCs, and why I've kind of never looked back. So, in in saying that, my new system is um, obviously an Apple computer. It's a MacBook Pro, and I, for the first time ever, am replacing my desktop and my laptop with just a laptop. I've never done that before. I've always had either a custom built PC desktop or I had um, a um, 
uh, some sort of an Apple desktop like an iMac. This is the first time that I'm ever going exclusively with just a laptop. Um, I've always had laptops because I needed them for working on the road and for transferring footage and that kind of thing. But I've never thought about having a laptop be my main system because I think in the past that was really not the best idea because laptops um, and, uh, you know, 10 years ago, for example, laptops just could not keep up with with desktop systems. And so it was really hard. Even if you bought like a gaming laptop, it was really hard to find one that could truly edit really, really, really well um, the way a desktop could. And so I've always had desktops, but this time I'm able to get away with just a laptop and I'm extremely excited about that. Times have changed and it's not just Apple that has laptops like this. There are definitely um, PC or Windows-based uh, laptops out there now that can also replace desktops. So it's just a really good time across the board, no matter what what brand you work with. Um, it's just really cool that we are at a moment in time where you can get a laptop that can be a replacement for desktop. And so that's that's the route I went. And, and I'll kind of dive into to why today on the podcast. But first, let me tell you about the exact one I got. The laptop I picked out was the fully specced out 16-inch MacBook Pro. And when I say fully specced out, I mean if you go to Apple's website and you click on the 16-inch MacBook Pros and on the right-hand side where you can um, add or remove different um, specs, uh, mine would be added. Every single thing, every single item would be added to the Max. Um, And... And there's a reason why I did that. And and, and I'm going to get into that on the podcast because I know some people might think that's crazy because it it is expensive. When you fully spec out a 16-inch MacBook Pro today, you are paying $6,100 pre-tax. After tax, I think I paid like $6,600 and some change. That's an expensive laptop. You could buy a really nice desktop for that kind of money. But I'm going to explain why I spec'd it out. First off, I don't like upgrading computers very often. Um, to me, whenever I upgrade a computer, it's a process because I don't do the whole clone your old computer to your new one thing. Um, I start fresh. I start fresh. I download all the programs straight from the the source, like like for the Adobe programs or for Resolve, for example. I go straight to adobe.com or straight to uh, the Blackmagic website to download those. I'm not copying them from my old system. All my documents, everything, those I'll copy over, but all of the programs, all of the um the plugins, all of that I download fresh. And the reason why I do that is because I want to basically set my computer up clean whenever I get it. If you if you take your old computer and you clone it to the new one so it's set up exactly like your old one, if you ever had any old files or junk or things that you, you, d- you didn't realize that you had that maybe you had gotten through a download or something over the years, because think about it, if you have a computer for a long time, you're going to have some stuff that you didn't realize is on your system. And you're going to be dragging all that onto your new one if you clone it over. And so I don't want to do that. I want to start completely fresh when I buy a computer, download everything as if it's the first time, and then go in and um, you know log in, because like if you download, you know, Resolve, you got to go put in your access code to unlock the studio version. And you got to do the same thing with Creative Cloud. And if you have like your film convert plugins, for example, you got to download those fresh and download your camera packs fresh and and log in to unlock everything. Uh, But I'm okay with that because I want a fresh install of everything. So I'm not bringing any old junk over. So that's a process. It takes 
a day or two to set up a computer. And so I don't like, I don't like doing that very often. So I don't want to upgrade computers all that much, partially because I just don't want to spend the time doing that. I just want to get to work, you know? And then another part of it is to me, if you're replacing your computer every two or three years, you're just kind of wasting money. Even if you bought a cheaper computer and say you spent $2,500 in a computer. Well, if you replace it, you know, let's just say every two and a half years, then over a 10 year window, you've spent $10,000 on your computer because every, you know, two and a half, three years, you're having to buy a, tw a new $2,500 computer. Whereas if you buy a really great computer that can, that you can grow into something that's not only fast enough to do what you need it to do today, but has reserve power left over for what you're planning to do in the future, that computer can last you a long time. And if you can get eight or 10 years out of it, then yeah, the upfront costs may be more expensive, but when you divide it out uh, over the number of years that you're getting to use it over, it, it ends up costing less. So if you're replacing your computer every two or three years, you're, you're wasting a lot of money in my opinion. I would rather deck mine out and get the most powerful computer that I can, uh, or at least that I can afford. And that way I, I it not only can handle what I, I need it to do today, but it gives me plenty of room to grow into. And that is why I fully spec'd out the MacBook Pro 16 inch um, version that I just got. And I've done this with every, every Apple computer I've ever bought. I've done this. And, and when you, when you look at Apple, one of the downsides and one of the pluses of Apple, and I'll explain why it's a plus, but one of the downsides of Apple is that you can't use or replace things. If you want to upgrade your Ram today, it, you really can't. Um, Apple doesn't even have regular Ram anymore. They have what they call unified memory but it's not really user replaceable. So you can't like buy an, you know, a laptop with 16 gigs of RAM and then just go in and upgrade it later. Um, you can't buy a, an i7 processor and upgrade it later. Um, Apple computers don't really give you a lot of options there. And a lot of people can see that as, as a downside of working with Apple, whereas you know, with PCs, you can, you can constantly upgrade and, and use or replace things as you, as your, you know, your needs come up. Um, with Apple, you really can't do that anymore. Uh, but on the flip side of that, there's actually some, some bonuses to that. Um, and part of that is because Apple doesn't let you use or replace stuff, they are building everything together into one system to where everything is intertwined and, and is designed to work together. So it works faster and more efficiently. Whereas if you were just buying off the shelf parts and plugging it in, they would not be able to get that kind of consistency. When you look at the M1 computers, you've probably, unless you've lived living under a rock, you've probably heard of Apple's new M1 systems that have been out for a couple of years now. Well, part of what makes the M1 systems uh, M1s uh, is the fact that is the fact that what it, what it is is they have this the system that takes all, a lot of the different components like the unified memory or otherwise known as RAM on other computers, but the 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 RAM or unified memory, the processor, it takes the uh, um, the graphics card or the GPU, it takes all these different things and it kind of connects it together on this like one centralized board and. The benefit of that is everything is designed to work cohesively because they're all kind of intertwined and connected and they can utilize 
and get the most power out of every piece and component in the computer that way. Whereas if they just said, okay, we're going to have one brand of processor, we're going to have one brand of, of RAM, we're going to have one brand of graphics card, and we're going to connect them all up with wires and stuff, and all these brands and all these different parts have to talk and communicate together, um, they can't control that, and they can't get it to talk, to get those different brands or those different parts to talk to each other the way they could if they designed it all together themselves and put it all together themselves and kept it that way so that they can optimize the performance. So that's a big part of why Apple doesn't allow you to use or upgrade stuff because they don't design it in a way where you could. And, and why you might, some, some people might see it as a negative. I actually see it as a positive because what it does is it allows the it allows their computers to optimize what they have more efficiently and give you faster and better results. And so you can have a lesser spec Apple M1 computer, for example, and outperform a much higher spec um, PC um, a lot of times because Apple's just more efficient and is getting more out of their parts than PC is. And so that's a big plus to me. But you have to keep that in mind when you buy your computer from Apple because if you if you only buy a computer that has the specs from Apple to be able to handle what you need to do today, you can't upgrade those parts tomorrow when you start shooting 6K or 8K. You know what I mean? So like if you're if you're if you want to grow into your computer and you're going to work with Apple, then you have to invest in a computer that's going to have reserve power for what you're going to be working with in the future. Um, that way you can grow into it. Otherwise, you'll find yourself having to replace it. So that is a, a another big reason why I fully spec out my computers because I want to have plenty of room to grow into because I can't go in and, and upgrade these myself. So if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now when I buy it. So with that being said, Here's kind of, uh, and let me, I'm a, I'm a, you might hear my mouse clicking here because I, I want to say uh, all of this correctly because um, I might miss something, but I'm going to pull up real quick right in front of me kind of um, what my camera is is built with so that I can kind of explain the, the specs on mine. Here we go. All right, so I have the 16-inch MacBook Pro, which has the M1 Max chip. It is a 16-core neural engine, a 10-core CPU, a 32-core GPU, has 64 gigabytes of unified memory, otherwise known as RAM, um, which, by the way, RAM, traditional RAM is typically slower than unified memory, so 64 gigs of unified memory when compared to um, regular RAM would actually be much faster and more efficient than regular RAM. So um, 64 gigs of unified memory is, is kind of like the equivalent of having much, much higher RAM than 64 gigs. Uh, but anyway, 64 gigs of unified memory, an 8 terabyte internal SSD, more on this in a little bit. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. So there you go. M1 Max chip, 64 gigs unified memory, 8 terabyte internal SSD with a 16 core neural engine, 10 core CPU, and 32 core GPU. For a lot of you, that might have just gone straight over your head. Some of it goes over my head too, and that's fine. I don't, you don't have to understand all of those specs. Um, but basically, if you go to Apple's website and you are uh, adding parts and components, some of the things that you'll have to pick from are the size of the computer, which I went with the 16 inch because I like to have a bigger screen so I can have more real estate on my laptop. And so I always go for like the 15, 16, 17 inch versions. So in this case, I went with the 16 inch. Um, and then you can pick kind of um, what 
what chip you want. I wanted the M1 Max chip because I wanted to have the uh, most most advanced laptop chip for an Apple computer that you can get that has uh, the most power in it. And then you can also upgrade your unified memory. Uh, I went with 64 gigs of unified memory. And when you choose to do that, you also get some video encoders that um, are built into the computer that help the computer um, encode and decode certain codecs better um, and and give those codecs more power. Those codecs are going to be like ProRes, H.265 or HVAC. Um, H.264, etc. So if you are working with those kind of files, you will get uh, more processing power thanks to these encoders and decoders. And then, um, and then you can pick your SSD size, which I went with eight terabytes, which is the most amount you can have. Now, this is all what makes the computer cost sixty-one hundred pre-tax. It's expensive. And I get that. And if you were looking at this computer and you were thinking, well, that's a little bit too much, where could I cut costs? The one area that you could cut costs if you want to keep the performance would be the internal SSD. You could scale back and instead of getting eight terabytes, you could do like two terabytes, for example, and it'll save you a couple thousand dollars or more um, and, and bring the cost of this machine down. That internal, that high capacity internal uh, SSD does add a lot of money to the machine. Um, but the reason why I went with the fully spec um, SSD is because I wanted to have a lot of storage space on my computer. Now, I do not keep footage and pictures and Lightroom catalogs and all that on my computer. Uh, on my computer's internal drive, all I keep are documents, which don't take up hardly any space, uh, my programs and apps, uh, my obviously that your operating system is on there, um, and then I keep um, I keep my uh, my iTunes catalog, which is only like seven or eight gigabytes. I mean, that doesn't take up much room. Um, and things of that nature. I do not keep pictures, Lightroom catalogs, footage, nothing like that, permanently on my internal. Um, drive in my computer because those things uh, really need to be living on external drives. That being said, that being said, I do have to take my work with me on the road a bunch. Um, I might, you know, have a project coming up where I might be flying to North Carolina for three or four days and, and maybe I'm working on a project for another client and my editor's working on a different project. And I, so I'm editing this one while he's editing another one. So maybe I need to take that project with me because I've got to, I've got to work on it while I'm gone, maybe in the evenings or at lunch breaks. Um, and so a lot of times I'm having to take my work with me and, the thing is, is my, and, and we're going to get into my, my, uh, my, uh, drives, my field drives here in a little while that, that I dump footage to when I'm on the road. Uh, but the reality is, is none of the drives that I have, none of my SSD drives that I take with me have a large and have a very large capacity. The largest I have is four terabytes and that's a lot, but a lot of my projects might be four, five, six terabytes big. And so in the past, if I'm taking a project with me that's four, five, six plus terabytes, I'm always having to bring a big clunky, you know, desktop drive that requires me to plug it in the wall and the drive is really slow and it's big and huge. And I have to fly that with me to take my, or, or put it in my truck to take, to take my work with me on the road. And that's annoying, right? Because you, you're, you're bringing this big, slow drive. It makes whatever project you're working on a pain in the butt because your drive is slowing everything down. And on top of that, um, you have to find a place to plug it in. You can't just pull out your laptop and work on your project. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's much more of a process. 
So I bought the eight the eight terabyte SSD version uh, of my 16 inch MacBook Pro so that when I'm going on the road and I have a larger project I'm taking with me, I can literally just drag the file from my editing drive and drop it onto my desktop and as soon as it's done, I'm, I can I can go. I can take my project with me on the road, and it's there on my computer's internal eight terabyte drive. And most of the time, my projects, you know, an actual project I'm working on at that moment in time is typically not going to be eight terabytes worth. So if I dedicate one terabyte to the computer, the operating system, my programs, apps, iTunes, all that, which I'm not even eating up a terabyte anyway. But if I dedicate a whole terabyte to that, that gives me seven terabytes left over that I can bring projects, whether it's two larger projects or, or one really large project, I can bring work with me on the road and just have it on my computer so I can just pull out my laptop and work on it. And that is huge for me. Um, so now I don't have to bring these big, slow, clunky drives anymore. And speaking of slow, the internal drive on the uh, newer Macs is crazy fast. I ran a Blackmagic speed test on the internal drive and I was clocking like four to 5,000 megabits per second read-write speeds, which is just mind-boggling. No other drive I have, it comes anywhere close to that. So not only do you have the convenience of being able to keep your project on your computer so you can pull it out and work on it, but on top of that, it's crazy fast. So you're not, you're not taking a slow drive with you that's going to slow you down. So yes, I did buy an, an expensive internal SSD, but it is allowing me to take my work with me on the road much more, uh, much easier now and much more easily and, and be able to, to work on it anywhere and maintain really fast speeds. Um, so that's why I, I went with such a high capacity internal SSD. If you are looking for an editing system today and you're interested in a computer like mine, but you don't want to spend $6,100, that is one area you can cut back on if you want to save some money. So if you don't, if you're not taking your work with you on the road all that much, or if you are, but your projects aren't very big, uh, or if you're willing to work on an external drive on the road, then you can cut costs on this computer by shaving off, you know, two to $2,000 or more by cutting that internal SSD back. Now I would, I would get one to two terabytes for sure, just because you want plenty of storage space for your you know, internal apps and programs and stuff. You don't want those things to eat up 75% or more of your uh, computer's internal drive because if if the programs and apps and documents are eating up 75, 80% of your internal drive, A, you don't have a lot of wiggle room, and B, it will eventually slow your computer down because if that drive starts to get really full, it will uh, slow slowly start to slow the computer down. Um, so you wanna get one to two terabytes, so you have plenty of space for your operating system, your programs, et cetera, or if you do need to take a tiny project with you, you can. Um, but if you don't have to go to six or eight terabytes if you don't want to spend the money, but you still want a really you know highly specced out computer. So that is one place that you can cut costs on. But if you're looking at an Apple computer, for example, um, if you can afford it, man, I totally recommend decking it out. Um, you don't have to get the 16 inch. You can cut back and get the 14 inch. But if you want everything that I just said, you need the 16 inch model. And the M1 Max chip is crazy good, um, and having a 32-core GPU and, and you know such a great graphics system, and be able to have 64 gigabytes of unified memory, or, or otherwise known as RAM, that gives you so much to work with on your computer, so that you can have different programs open, you can work with After Effects really well, you can put titles and things in Premiere and not have it slow you down. You can do multiple layers on Premiere. You can have tons of things, and uh, you know, going back into Audition and adding Isotope and stuff. 
stuff and be able to process and render out your your isotope, you know, clean up on on your audio files really fast, and you can use noise reduction without it, you know, making your timeline crash, you know, because you're decking it out. And so, to me, if you want if you want to have a computer today that can handle anything you're working on with tons of room to grow, I, I could not recommend this system more. Um, now, if, if you are, you know, if, if the, that, that computer, even with a, a one or two terabyte internal SSD, it still feels expensive to you because it gets close to four grand even after you shave that stuff off, um, you, can, you can cut back in some areas. And I'm not saying that you have to have this computer. You can get a 14-inch uh, uh, MacBook Pro and, and get a, you know, like an M1 pro chip or something like that, a regular M1 chip, and you can get, you know, 32 gigs of unified memory instead of 64. I mean, you can cut back on some of those things and still get great performance. Uh, it's just, if you want to really invest in something that's going to last you six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, I hope to get 10 years out of this machine, which I don't think is far-fetched. I got eight years out of my last laptop and seven out of my last desktop. And to be honest with you, I could have kept working with them and I could have gotten another year or two out of them. I just didn't want to, I just wanted to move on. Um, but if you want want to get, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years like I do, spend the money now so it will last you a long time. That's my thought process. Um, and give yourself some room to grow into. And if you're looking for a computer and maybe you're comparing Apple versus PC and you're wondering, well, what are specs that are important? Well, things to look for um, first off is your processor. You want to have an i7 minimum on your processor, i9 if you can, um, the, the, or better, like to have a, a, a bigger, better, faster processor um, is really good. You really want to get as much uh, RAM as you can. Um, 64, 32 gigs would be like the minimum I would get today. 64 is much better. If you can get more than 64 gigs of RAM, if you can get up to like 128 gigs of RAM, like that's even better. Now, uh, Apple's unified memory, like I said earlier, earlier is different than traditional RAM. It is more like having a, a higher capacitor capacity amount of RAM. Um, so it, it, 64 gigs today and in, in of unified memory on Apple is like bonkers compared to traditional RAM. But if you're looking at traditional RAM, no less than 32 gigs, 64 if you can, 128 if you if you really can on a PC would be amazing. Um, so you, you want to have an i7 to i9 or better processor. You want to have 32 plus gigs of RAM. RAM's the cheapest thing that you can upgrade on a computer. Um, so you definitely don't don't cut yourself short there because RAM is uh, cheap performance. Um, and then you want a really solid graphics card, something that's got uh, a large amount of gigabytes dedicated toward it, like um, uh, eight plus would be great uh, on your graphics card, um, just so that you have a really great graphics card with um, some good internal storage or, or memory so that it can uh, handle the things that you've got going going on on a daily basis graphics wise, whether you're building lower thirds or doing more heavy, heavy uh, intensive graphics like mocha tracking and stuff like that. It gives you um, more to work with there. So if you're looking at a, an, an, a PC or an Apple computer, the things to look at are the processor, um, the RAM, the graphics, and then, like I said, one to two terabytes internal SSD minimum will get you a long way. So anyway, that's the computer I have is the uh, decked out M1 Max 16 inch. And I'll tell you, um, performance wise, it has been fantastic. Um, I have uh, been able to cut H265 10-bit 422 570 megabit per second um, A1 
8K footage, and it is it has handled it without dropping a single frame, uh, playing it back um, in my timelines, no problem. Even with grades, I've been able to work on 4K timelines and, sh- and take that 10-bit 422 high bit rate 8K, scale it down to 4K and get awesome performance. I've been building uh, 50 megapixel time, well, the really 4K time lapses, but I'm building them on 50 megapixel shots and then bringing them into my uh, uh, timelines and scaling it down to uh, 4K. And, and it handles that really quickly, uh, processing the raw files from the time lapse and, and, and converting them to JPEG really, really fast and and uh, quickly builds a J, uh, an image sequence in Premiere so I can build a, a time lapse really quickly. And it plays it back smooth, which is amazing. Uh, to be able to play on a 4K timeline, a 50 megapixel time lapse is awesome. Um, and uh, I've I've done a bunch of projects on the machine in the few weeks I've had it, working on um, really lengthy like interview projects where I brought in three to four hours worth of interview footage and have um, you know two three cameras layered plus raw audio, 32 bit float audio on a timeline and underneath all that footage and. Um, I haven't had it drop a single frame or skip a single beat, even in full resolution. The computer's been fantastic. Um, so the fact that I'm cutting, you know, two, three, four plus hour long uh, interviews in full resolution, all in 4K, all in 10-bit, and that I've been able to do 8K natively as well, uh, and, and these high resolution time lapses just shows you how how powerful it is. And here's the crazy thing: the fans haven't even kicked on. So I've been editing, you know, these really lengthy 4K projects or these 8K files, and my computer has handled it so well that the fans themselves have not even kicked on yet. And what that means essentially is that I haven't even made the computer break a sweat. I mean, think about that. In the past, a laptop like this would be screaming because it would be processing so much stuff. It would be so, so much going on that it would have to have the fans going a million miles an hour trying to keep it cool because it's just trying to keep up with what you're doing. My laptops, the fans haven't even kicked on because (laughs) it's not even breaking a sweat. That's how easy it's handling everything. So that just shows you that not only is it handling what I'm doing now, but it shows you how much room I have to grow. So if I'm six years from now working with you know, 8K minimum. I'm not saying I'm going to be doing that in six years, but just let's just pretend I was. The computer is is working with 8K today and not even breaking a sweat. So it just tells you like, I've got so much room to grow there for the future. And that's just awesome. Um, so something else of note is Apple says that the, if you're working with ProRes, because I talked about those video encoders, decoders that are in these uh, M1 Max 64 uh, gig version, those uh, encoders and decoders work so well that Apple claims that you can get eight layers stacked on top of each other of 8K ProRes footage to play back in real time at full resolution. And and I can confirm that that's the case, which is crazy. Eight, no, seven layers. They, they claim seven layers. But yeah, seven layers of 8K ProRes playing back in real time at full res is awesome. Just so cool to have that. And it's all in a laptop. So when I'm done working at home, I can unplug it and take it with me on the road. It's amazing. And I've been using it for live streaming since I've gotten it already. Been using it for live streaming, um, multicam live streams with my Blackmagic uh, A10 Mini Pro ISO switcher. And um, I haven't even plugged it into uh, mains power. It, the battery life is so amazing that I have been running live streams and I haven't even gotten my battery to dip below like 75%. <laughs> during the whole live stream. It's just nuts, man. I, I've been editing on it uh, as a laptop in my kitchen so I could be next to my wife and, and son. And um, so I like pull it out of the office and put it in the kitchen with just the battery life and been editing 
projects without the battery draining. It's just crazy to me. So it's really, really cool machine. Um, and uh, I will say it's my second one. And what I mean by that is I bought one um, for about three and a half, close to four weeks ago, and it did have a problem. There was a, uh, a, a problem with the logic board. It was just a manufacturer defect, and my computer, a week into owning it, started crashing randomly. Kernel panicking is what they call it. And it started doing it over and over and over and over again, and, and every day it would get faster and faster and faster, and I thought it was something I had plugged into the computer. So I unplugged everything, even the charger, and it was still kernel panicking and crashing. And uh, I didn't know what was wrong with it. I took it to an Apple store and they said it's possible that maybe there was a manufactured defect with the logic board. They said that um, I would know if the computer um, started doing it so much that it never turned back on. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, but it was still new and still within the return porn, uh, return um, warranty. No, what do you call that? Within the return dates. Sorry, words are hard. Um, and so I was able to call B&H and explain what was going on. And uh, I sent it back and they next day AM'd me a, uh, another one. Um, and I reset it up from scratch, which sucked because I had to reset it two computers up within a three week, span, <laughs> three week period of time. Uh, but this one has had no problems. So it was just a manufacturer defect with the logic board. Um, just a rare thing. It's just like, you know, just like anything else, every once in a while, you're going to have a lemon on something you buy. And I just happened to unfortunately get a um, laptop that just had something wrong with the logic board. But the new one is working great. Now let's talk about what I have paired with it. Since I'm not going to have a desktop now, I still wanted to have a screen. Um, so I went with the uh, Apple Studio display, the 27 inch 5K Apple Studio display, which has 10 bit color. And I love it. So I came from the 27 inch iMac, 5K Retina iMac, which was my last um, desktop. And that screen was brilliant. 27 inch 5K Retina screen was amazing on my last iMac. This screen is really similar. Um, it, it just doesn't have the computer built in. It's just a screen. And it's very, very similar. The color is a little bit richer um, because I don't think the 5K IMAX Retina screen that I had from 2015 had true 10-bit color. This one does. So it's got a little richer color, um, which you can configure for editing and whatnot if you're shooting with 10-bit, which I am. Um, so that's great. Um, but the, for everything else, it kind of looks really similar to my uh, 2015 iMac screen, but that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing because that screen was phenomenal. Um, so it's just like my 27 inch iMac screen, but with true 10 bit and it's, uh, it, it's a beautiful display and it's in a thin, um, a thin case or a thin enclosure. So it doesn't take up a lot of space and I can kind of push it uh, further back on my desk and it looks great. And it runs off of Thunderbolt four and, um, and all you have to do is plug one, you know, one cable into the wall and one in the computer and boom, there you go. You don't even turn it on. It auto turns on when it plugs into your laptop and auto goes to sleep or shuts down when you shut your laptop down. So you don't even have to turn it on or off, which is really cool. Um, and here's another thing. The speakers are so good in the studio display um, that I got rid of my external speaker system. I used to have a, uh, a really nice JBL, I think it was JBL, uh, speaker system uh, for my desktop that had uh, two floor speakers that were really loud and this really rich subwoofer that went with them. And I edit with headphones, but if I'm just cutting, you know, and just, or if I'm listening to music or whatever, I always use those uh, desktop speakers. Um, and then I put my headphones on when I was doing critical editing. Um, but um, to be honest, the studio display has such amazing 
speakers built in that I got rid of my subwoofer and my and my external speakers. I love the speakers in it, and that cut a lot of room out of my office. And speaking of speakers, the speakers on the uh, on the MacBook are also amazing. They're by far the best speakers I've ever heard on a laptop, and uh, I mean it's amazing when I've shown uh, clients uh, a video in person um, on my laptop. They get to hear the amazing sound quality from it. It just makes my videos sound better. But the studio display has uh, also has very, very, very good speakers. And so that's another another pro. Now, you might say, well, you could save some money or you could get a bigger screen or you could get two screens. I'm a one screen guy. Even with my laptop plugged in, I keep the lid completely closed, which is nice. You can just plug your computer in with the lid closed and the screen your external screen fires up, but I just like to use one display, man. I, I just am really big on having one nice clean display. I know not everybody works that way. It's just personal preference and that's what I like to do. And I like working with the Apple screen because everything works cohesively with all my other products. Um, and yeah, so there's all, that's all I'm going to say to that. Now what's, here's, what's really cool. And we're going to get into my drives and stuff in a minute because this is where things are going to get interesting. But I want to talk about my dock. So I've tried some OWC docks in the past, and I tried some new ones out for this new system. But I came across a dock by a company called CalDigit, who recently, this past spring, came out with their TS4 dock. Um, And I got that CalDigit dock in and have it hooked up. And so check this out. I'm about to explain. This is going to blow your mind. So I'm going to explain to you what all I have connected to this thing. So in this CalDigit dock, I have my 5K iMac hooked up to it, or 5K uh, studio display, I mean. And that studio display has three USB-C cables plugged in the back of it because it has a bunch of ports in the back. So I can hook up like two two field drives, two SSD field drives, and uh, a card reader to my to my uh, studio display. So right now I have a Sony CF Express Type A card reader hooked up to the studio display and then two SSD drives that I just got back from a trip on also hooked up to the studio display. So those three items are hooked up to the studio display. The studio display is connected to the dock. So all of that I just described, the screen, the two SSD drives, and the CF Express Type A card reader are all connected to the dock with one cable, which is the studio display cable. Then also in the dock, I have plugged up two storage drives, those big Seagate desktop storage drives that you can buy for cheap off the shelves. I have two of those hooked up right now, uh, drives 12A and 12B, which I'm pulling some old uh, projects off of uh, from from some archives. Um, So I have those connected up with two different cables to the dock. Um, I have a micro SD card plugged into the dock because it has a micro SD card in the in the front and that uh, slot in the front and that's a UHS2 micro SD card slot. Um, so I have that plugged in there from uh, my my GoPro and then also in the front of the dock is a UHS2 standard SD card slot which I currently have a uh, SD card plugged into a UHS2 card plugged into from my um, sound devices recorder. So I have those two SD cards, the micro and the full size plugged into the dock. Also plugged into the dock is my headphones, my Bose uh, editing headphones. And then in addition to that, I have a trans, what I call a transfer drive. It's like a Seagate little passport drive that I'm 
dumping footage on to take to my editor that's plugged into my dock. And then I also have my SSD RAID drive plugged into the dock via Thunderbolt 4, no, Thunderbolt 3. And that RAID drive is what I'm editing off of right now. And then daisy chained off that RAID drive is another RAID drive that is backing up my current RAID drive. So that's hooked up all through the dock. And then connecting to that is a Blu-ray burner, which is also connected to the RAIDs and connected to uh, the dock so I can burn Blu-ray for a client project I'm working on right now. And then in addition to that, I have two lightning cables uh, plugged into my dock for charging my iPhone and my uh, keyboard or mouse. They both charge via lightning cables. And so all of that's plugged into the dock. And then in addition to that, the dock has a free port left open for USB-A uh, type cables. Um, so if I had something I wanted to plug in, it's a, it's a 3.2 USB-A port that's I'm not even using that's still open. And then I also have a USB-C port open that I'm still not using for anything. So if I had another device I wanted to plug into, I still have that port as well. So I have two free ports left over. Oh, and I forgot one thing. My podcasting mic is also hooked up to the dock. So I just told you guys everything that's plugged into the dock. So a 5K monitor, two SSD drives, a CF Express Type A card reader, a micro SD card, a uh, full size SD card, two lightning cables, uh, my podcasting mic, a pair of headphones, two storage drives, two RAID drives, a transfer drive, and a Blu ray burner. All of that is running through that one dock. And then check this out that one dock is hooked up to my computer with one cable a Thunderbolt 4 cable, and that cable also powers my computer and keeps it charged. So everything I just described, which is a ton of stuff, is all plugged up to my computer with one cable. And that one cable charges the computer and connects all those other things, including the monitor. So when I come home and I'm ready to work, I take my laptop <laughs> and I plug one cable into it and set it on my desk and I get to work. That's it. All of those things all of them just connect with that one cable. I don't even have to put a charging cable up. I just plug that one thing in via Thunderbolt 4 and get to work. I don't even have to open the lid on the laptop. I just plug it in and get to work. And when I'm ready to go, I hit the eject all button from the CalDigit. Um, that's a little widget. You just hit the button. It's at the top of the computer. I just hit that button and everything ejects and I unplug the, that one cable and throw my bat, laptop in my backpacking and get on the road. I mean, it, that is amazing, guys. I cannot believe I have all that hooked up at one time and all with one cable to my computer. It is mind boggling. And my computer has a bunch of ports left over. I've still got three other Thunderbolt cables, an HDMI cable, and a SD UHS 2 card slot all open on my laptop that are being unused, plus the two extra ports on the on the dock itself. So that's amazing. So I cannot recommend this uh, dock enough. It's by CalDigit. And it's their TS4. And by the way, I ran a Blackmagic speed tests when I got this um, with everything plugged in at once to see how much it slowed down the performance on my hard drives with all of those things plugged in. Because you got to think, if you're running all of those things into one dock and that one dock is hooked up to your computer with one cable, performance surely must suffer if all of those things are going at once. Um, but honestly, the performance drop was like minuscule. Um, very, it was basically unnoticeable on, on the, on the, uh, on the black magic speed test and in performance, I can't notice any difference in performance. So all those things are hooked up at once with negligible speed loss, which is just mind boggling. So it truly makes for a clean setup because I come home and just plug one cable up, get to work. And when I'm ready to go, just hit eject all and unplug the cable and take my computer with me. And so I have the same editing performance on the road 
on my laptop that I do when I come home on my desktop. And that is why I went with this laptop because to me, um, that's amazing. And this laptop, if you look online, like it's outperforming, you know, two, two year old desktop based, um, Mac computers that cost upward of 20 plus thousand dollars. I mean, it is just destroying performance. It's so good. Um, so to me, it truly has replaced my desktop and has allowed me to have the same performance on the road as, as I do at home. So that's amazing. So enough on the computer and uh, the dock and the, and, and the display. That's, that's all explained. Now I want to talk about um, my drives and my drive system and all of that. Um, also, I have a new printer on the way. I'm, I just bought my first photo printer. Um, I've had printers that have claimed to print photos, but I've uh, finally ordered a really nice photo printer. Um, trying to remember what the, let me look it up here, what the model is, but it's, it's a photo printer that still prints uh, regular paper, but it also allows you to print, um, I think it's like 17 inch or 19 inch photos. And it's like legit photo printer. You can put really high end uh, photo ink in it. It is the Epson EcoTank Photo ET8550. Um, is I can't wait to get it. Did a lot of reviews on it. Um, yeah, you can print up to 13 inch by 19 inch size um, photographs, which is really big. That's a huge photo. Um, and of course, you can do photos much smaller than that, all on really high end paper with really great ink. Um, but it still has a scanner on it and still can print regular papers as well. It has a copy scanner and can print regular paper as well. Um, but when you want to print some like really beautiful, legit photos, um, this is like a true photo printer that can kind of do both. It's a little print, it's a little expensive. It's like $800 and it's kind of really hard to find. They've been um, in such high demand since it's come out that it's really hard to find them. Same with the CalDigit dock, by the way. I had to buy mine off a guy on eBay who had one brand new, who hadn't used it. And I paid like two or $250 over retail for it. Um, I really wanted it, so I was willing to pay for it, but they're like impossible to find. So these are all really great items, just like this printer. Um, that there's such high demand that they're, they're hard to find, but I'm excited to get that in this week. Um, but anyway, so let's start talking about my drives. So the way that I do, the way that I work or the way that I do my system is this, and, and my process has always kind of been similar. I have what I call my edit drives, I have my storage drives, I have my field drives, and I have my transfer drives. And I'm gonna kinda go through what those are and how I use them. When I'm out in the field and I'm working on a project, let's say I'm in North Carolina and I'm shooting a project from the geospatial engineering firm I work for, Sam. When I'm on the road and we're in North Carolina for two, three days and we're shooting a project, every night when I go to the hotel, I'm backing all of my cameras footage up and all my audio and everything else, I'm backing it all up from the day and I'm putting it on duplicate field drives. These are drives that are with me in the field, hence the name field drives. And for me, these field drives are, I currently am running SanDisk Extreme Pro version twos um, and they're four terabytes each, I have four of them. So to me, I have uh, field drive 1A, field drive 1B, and field drive 2A and field drive 2B. And that's what I take with me on the road. 1A and 1B just are they duplicate each other and same thing with 2A and 2B. So if I'm on the road and I'm in North Carolina and I'm shooting a project for my client, Sam, uh, stands for surveying and mapping, when I'm filming for them, I will, for example, when I go to the hotel every night, everything I do for the day goes to field drive 1A and field drive 1B. Or if those drives are, you know, got stuff on them, then I'll put them on 2A and 2B. But the point is, is those are duplicate pairs. That gives me, um, basically, uh, it gives me... Uh, 
eight terabytes worth of duplicate storage I can take with me on the road, which is, you know, plenty for what I usually do. And that way I'm, I'm putting everything onto an A drive and a B drive. So if one corrupts, I've got a backup. And then I, when everything is saved, I clean my footage off for the day, put all my cards back in the cameras and audio recorders, et cetera. And they're ready to go for the next day. And everything is backed up onto two to field drives. And the reason I run these uh, SSD drives is because I can dump footage from my computer to these SSD drives really fast. I can, for example, I can back up a, a full, fully loaded 160 gigabyte CF Express Type A card. I can back that up in around five minutes. So if you shot four cards worth of data, it only take me 20 minutes to back it all up to two drives. So that's really, really fantastic. So those are my field drives. When I come home, I take those field drives and I'll plug drive uh, A and drive B up into my computer. And I will dump those to um, my storage drives and to my edit drives. The edit drives are for editing and the storage drives are just there as uh, backup drives. So I'm going to make a change to this system this year, but I'm going to get into that in a minute. So those field drives, when I come home, I hook them up and I, and I back them up to these storage drives and to my edit drive. And then I will wipe them clean and they go back in my backpack for the next trip. My storage drives are basically where my files go when I'm done editing. When I'm done editing a project and I'm completely through with it, I I take everything I've done and I back them up on storage drive, for example, 13A and 13B. So 13A and 13B have the exact same thing and they are basically copying everything that's on my editing drive and then I delete it from my editing drive so my editing drive is ready to go and clean and clear and doesn't have you know uh, a pro- any more projects on it and my storage drives they go on shelves and that's where they're all my content's going to live forever so if I'm in North Carolina and I'm shooting and I'm backing up to the field drives when I come home everything goes from those field drives to the storage drives and that's where they're going to live. Now, I put a copy of that on my editing drive and I edit off the editing drive and as I create project files, as I download music, I copy all that from my edit drives to my storage drives so that when I'm done editing the project, I can comp- I can completely remove it from the project from my editing drive to free up space on my editing drive and my storage drives are where all that music and project files are going to live along with the raw footage. And so that's kind of been been my my process. My uh, storage drives for the last eight or 10 years have been these Seagate desktop drives. The reason why I use those is because you can buy them in really large capacities. Like my 13A and 13B drives right now are 16 terabytes. So I can tour, store a ton of information or a ton of projects on them, or at least a couple big projects on them. And then um, when I'm done, I can put them on shelves and they'll stay there forever. And I catalog them in a notes file on my phone or on my uh, Apple notes. So my phone or my iPad or my computer, no matter what I'm doing, I can pull up my catalog and see where all my, you know, where, you know, if I'm looking for a project for Locale Ranch, I can quickly look in my catalog and say, well, that's on drive 5A and 5B. And I can pull those out and access those old files. So that's kind of been my system of cataloging and where I store everything. I am going to make a change to that, but before I get into that change, I'm going to talk about my my edit drives and my transfer drives. I'll start with my transfer drives because that's a little simpler. My transfer drives are Seagate passport drives that you buy from like Best Buy. You can get them in like up to four terabytes. I have four of them that are four terabytes in size. So similar to my storage drives, or excuse me, my field drives, I have field, uh, I have transfer drive 
1A and 1B, and I have transfer drives 2A and 2B. And they're just like my my uh, my field drives, except for they're cheaper. They're not SSDs, they're spinning disk drives. But what I do with them is whenever I'm handing a project over to my editor, if my editor is going to work on a project for me, because maybe I've got a lot going on and I want him to work on a project, I will take one of those transfer drives. Once I'm home and everything is backed up, I'll take one of those transfer drives and connect it up to my computer and I'll dump a copy of, of the project and all the files onto that transfer drive. Once it's copied, I eject that drive and I drive it over to my editor's house and drop it off. He lives like 10 or 15 minutes from me. Um, I do keep all of my content on Dropbox, which we'll get into in a bit. So smaller projects, he'll just download from Dropbox directly, but larger projects, if it's several terabytes, that could take him a while. So I just may, I just drag everything over to a uh, transfer drive and just drive it and drop it off at his house. I've got four of those um, just so he has a bunch to work with. Um, so I can take him a bunch of different you know, I can take him a project and then download another project to another transfer drive and then drop that one off and pick up the old one type of thing. So those are what my transfer drives are. So I've got field drives, I've got transfer drives, I've got stores drives. I've talked about all of those. Now let's talk about my edit drives. Right now, my edit drives are um, my RAID systems. I have two RAIDs. My RAIDs are made by Promise Technology. And um, I have an older Thunderbolt 2 one, and then I recently bought a newer Thunderbolt 3 one. They currently don't have a Thunderbolt 4 one, so I went with Thunderbolt 3, but it's still, it's fast enough. Here's how this works. A RAID drive, what a RAID is, is it's several drives connected together to create one big drive. So when you look at a RAID system, you have a box essentially or an enclosure, and inside that enclosure are individual drives. They could be older style spinning disk drives or they can be uh, newer style SSD drives, depending on how much money you want to spend. But basically, they are user replaceable internal drives that you pull out they, they're made up of different bays. So like my, both of mine are four bay raids. So a four bay raid has four bays and each bay has a drive. So you can pop one bay out and put your own drive in that bay and pop it back in. And the cool thing about that is you can buy SSD drives if you, if you want to spend a lot of money and get a lot of speed, or you can save money and buy your own spinning disk, 7200 RPM spinning disk drives to save money um, and, and put them in yourselves. You can, If you want to buy a two terabyte drive, you can. If you want to buy a 20 terabyte drive, you can. Um, and you just put them in yourselves. So you can buy up to 20 terabyte individual um, spinning disk drives, for example. So a four bay drive, if you put four 20 terabyte spinning disk drives in it, one, for, one in each bay, you've just built an 80 terabyte RAID. Um, uh, or if you want to do SSDs, you can buy like four terabyte or eight terabyte SSDs and they're going to cost you a lot more money, but they're much faster and you can buy those not in as large as a, a large a size, but you can buy them in like four, eight terabytes, for example, or even two terabytes if you want to save some money and put those in instead and you'll have lesser storage capacity, but a much quicker drive. Um, but the point is, is all these drives, when they're connected together, they actually run faster. So a drive that typically would be slower 
if you put two or three or four of them together and you daisy chain them together to create one super drive, um, then they will be faster than a traditional drive would be on its own. So that's like the big benefit of edit editing on a RAID is that you can create one big drive that's got a lot of storage space and you can make it really, really fast. Now, there are different ways to use a RAID. That's one way, uh, and that's called RAID 0, where you connect them all to together to create one fast drive. There are other ways to go about it, though. You could create something like a RAID 5 or a RAID 1, where it actually takes half of your drives and creates one drive and the other half of the drives and creates another and those two drives now mirror each other so if you put everything on 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 the drive it will automatically have a backup and that sounds great in theory but the downside of that is it cuts your storage space down in half and is since all the drives aren't working to create one super drive it's not as fast i prefer to have all the storage space and the fastest drive, so I create RAID 0 drives. Now, the downside of that is, is if one drive ever fails, you lose everything. So if you have it, uh, you know, like right now, I have a 16 terabyte RAID drive I'm working off of, and it's a crazy fast drive, but if one drive ever failed in any of those four bays, I lose everything. But that's why I have two drives. So the way I have my system set up right now is I have these two four ter these two four bay RAID systems. And in the first one, I have four four terabyte SSDs. They're chained together at RAID zero to make one 16 terabyte RAID zero SSD drive. It is wicked fast. It's clocking in at around 1700, um, uh, write speeds and around 2000 to 2100 read speeds. Now that's not as fast as my uh, laptop's internal drive, but it's got 16 terabytes and it's it's really fast still. I mean, that's way fast enough for anything you're going to do. If you run a Blackmagic speed test on it, you'll see that it says it's capable of editing up to 12K60 files. I'm not even remotely close to working with 12K right now. So you get it. It's fast. So that is my 16 terabyte RAID SSD drive really fast. Well, connected to it is a second RAID drive. It's also 16 terabytes. And it's also set up at RAID 0 to all make a six, to make a second 16 terabyte drive. But the difference is is I use cheaper drives. In this one, I have four spinning disk drives instead of SSDs. The reason is they're much cheaper. And this drive is um, still really fast. It's clocking in around eight to 900 megabits per second. It would be faster if it was newer, but it's an older drive, so it's on Thunderbolt 2. So it's a little slower, but eight to 900 still really fast for read write speeds. And that drive, I use a, I use a program called Carbon Copy Cloner, and I have it set up to where when I'm working on my SSD RAID drive, everything I do auto copies to the uh, spinning disk RAID drive. So if I'm working on a project for Sam, I'm going to keep using my surveying mapping company, Sam, because they're a great example here. But if I'm working on a project for Sam on my SSD RAID drive, everything I'm doing, every project or folder I create, every project file I create, every song I download, etc., auto copies onto the uh, spinning disk RAID drive. It's a little slower, but it's not. I'm not editing off of it. I'm just copying to it automatically. And if I delete something from the RAID SSD drive, it auto-deletes from the spinning disk RAID drive. 
That way I'm working on a super, super fast 16 terabyte editing drive that's all made up of SSDs and everything I do is automatically copied to the not as fast, but still fast spinning disk grade drive. So if anything ever happened to any, to any of the drives on my, my SSD RAID and it crashed, my other drive is still there and has everything on it. So I never lose anything. That way I get the best of both worlds. I can run my whole system in RAID 0, get the fastest speeds, but still have a backup automatically on a separate enclosure that's connected to it with a Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 3 cable. Or, and that, that really works out well for me. The other cool thing is by doing it this way with Carbon Copy Cloner is it has what's called a safety net you can turn on. And I have mine set for three days. And the way it works is, is if I said when I when you delete something from the SSD RAID, it auto-deletes from the uh, spinning disk RAID. However, what if you accidentally delete something? Well, fortunately, it has the safety net feature turned on. So it just goes into a safety net folder, which is basically a deleted folder, and it stays on there for three days. So anything I delete goes to that safety net folder and stays there and will stay there in that folder until three days have passed and then it will delete itself. But that's a great feature and you can set whatever time you want. I just chose three days. But the great part about that is if you accidentally, you're like, oh crap, I deleted my project file and it's gonna be deleted on both my 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 editing RAID and my backup RAID, but that's okay because it goes into the, into the safety net folder and you can just go in there and pull it back out. And, and, and after three days, it'll wipe itself clean and surely by three days you will have noticed. And you can set that, you can make that 30 days if you wanted, I just chose three. Um, but it's cool, it's a cool feature. So anyway, that way I have a 16 terabyte really fast RAID and I have a 16 terabyte still fast but not quite as fast RAID that's auto-copying um, and mirroring the other drive with the built-in safety net feature for um, collecting deleted files just to make sure you really did want to delete them. It's like emptying the trash essentially. Um, so it's really cool. Um, I love having that feature. Uh, the Carbon Copy Cloner program is not very expensive. It was like 30 or 40 or 50 bucks, something like that, or might even have been 25, I can't remember, but it wasn't, it was definitely under 50 and um, it's easy to set up. I also have Carby, Carbon Copy Cloner turned on to copy my MacBook Pro's internal hard drive um, to the same RAID backup drive every day at eight o'clock AM. Um, so 8 AM every day, uh, it just um, turns on and makes sure that it has a updated copy of my Mac's internal drive. That way, if my Mac ever crashed, um, I would have a backup of everything that was on my internal drive on this, um, on my RAID drive, uh, RAID, RAID storage backup drive. Um, so that's really nice. And that actually helped me out last week because remember me saying at the beginning of this podcast or toward the beginning of this podcast that my laptop actually crashed and I had to send it in to get a new one because there was something wrong with the logic board. Well, Fortunately for me, because I had this carbon copy cloner backing up my internal drive, I didn't lose anything. So when I got home or whenever I got the new laptop sent in, the replacement, I was able to fire it on, turn it on, download all my programs and stuff and everything, all my documents, my music, all that was backed up and I was able to just move it over. So it's a great feature to have for me, you know, as an insurance policy. I also have a Dropbox. So Dropbox is, uh, I pay for the $90 a month advanced Dropbox. Dropbox is one of the only programs 
at an affordable price on the market that you can get that actually gives you unlimited download space. There are some others that claim to give you unlimited download space, but I've actually called and spoke to many of them on the phone and they say, well, well, we say unlimited, but really we mean up to 10 terabytes. Well, for me, I need a lot more than that. So I called and spoke to Dropbox and uh, confirmed when they say unlimited, they mean unlimited. So I pay $90 a month for the advanced Dropbox setup and me and up to two other people, so three team members can have uh, all sign in and have access to this Dropbox account at the same time. So my second team member, for example, is my editor. So he has access to my Dropbox um, the, uh, and I get to pick which files he has access to. So I just give him access to all my archives. And basically what I do is every drive that I have in my office is backed up to the cloud in this Dropbox folder. I have um, like 80 or 90 terabytes backed up in Dropbox right now, which is a ton of footage. It's all my put pictures, footage, product, chick files, et cetera. It's like 80 or 90 terabytes. Um, worst case scenario, if I had a house fire and I lost everything in my office, everything here, all my hard drives, et cetera, it's all backed up in the cloud offsite. Now, it would probably take me five years to download 80 or 90 terabytes from Dropbox, but at least it's all there. It's all there. So in the case of a worst case scenario, you can go into Dropbox and, and download everything. Um, and my another benefit is my editor can access everything remotely. So if he's working on a highlight reel for my business, for example, I haven't done one of those in like six years, but let's pretend I was. He could go on into, into that Dropbox folder and he could pull files from all the projects I've shot over the last handful of years because all everything is in there. Um, I think I think I have 10 years of content in there. It's like 90 terabytes. So it works really well. So that's my Dropbox system. Um, and that's my offsite location. So if my storage drives ever simultaneously crashed or if I ever had a house fire, I do have an offsite location of everything. Um, and I do like Dropbox because I've been using it for a long time anyway. And the fact that you can have team members on there and it truly does have unlimited storage, unlike most sites that claim to have unlimited storage, um, you can put as much on content on there as you want. Lastly, I want to talk about the change I'm going to make. I said I'm going to make a change. I need to get a drink of water here. It's a lot of stuff we're talking about. Sorry. The change I'm going to make is to my storage drives. Um, I bill my clients for storage space. So for over the last 10 years or so, every time I work on a project for a client, part of their final payment is the amount of storage space they take up. And I usually charge around $40 a terabyte. And I've taken that money that I charge my clients. So if a client has, you know, eats, if their project eats up one and a half terabytes, I'm charging them $60, for example. Um, I will take that money and I will buy, you put it toward these Seagate desktop drives. And so if I'm, if, you know, if I buy a 16 terabyte drive and I do 16 projects that are one terabyte each, um, you know, those, those clients who have bought those drives, you know, and I buy them in pairs, always A's and B's. And that's what I've done for years. Build my clients for storage space, taking that money and bought desktop storage drives from Seagate and backed all my footage up for those projects on A drives and B drives. It's always been my system. And mo all of my drives typically have a bunch of different projects on them. And then once they're full, I put them on a shelf and buy two more using the funds from what I've charged my clients over the years. And that's, that's a really normal standard procedure. The problem with my system is I hate these drives. I can't stand it because anytime I want to pull up an archive file, like hey, I'm working on a project and I really want to get, I really want to use a shot of a lake. And I know I have footage from some lakes on file. Well, to access those, I go into my archives and I'm like, all right, that's on 
this project, which is on 12A and 12B, and then I have to go to my shelves and I have to find either 12A or 12B, pull it off the shelf, can plug it up and look through there. And what if I don't like the lake shot that was on there? Well, now I have to go say, well, that shot didn't quite work out. What's another lake shot? Oh yeah, I remember I shot a fishing project in 2000, I don't know, 2013. And it was for Locale Ranch. What drive is that on? Okay, 5A and 5.6. So then I go back to my archives, grab drives 5A or 6 and plug them in. And then find, you know, those shots. And it just takes so much time. Plus the drives are slow. They take a long time to back up to. And I just don't like that process. It's, it's great. Everything's archived. I know where everything is and I have, you know, backups of everything I do, but having to go and physically get these slow drives and plug them up is driving me nuts. So what I'm going to make a change to is this. I love RAIDs. I talked to you a second ago about about my RAID system, my editing system, uh, my RAID edit drive, and my RAID edit backup drive. And I love it because it's so fast. I can copy files so fast, transfer them so fast. I I copied uh, two and a half, no, 2.24 2.24 terabytes the other day from my from my one of my RAID drives to my uh, MacBook Pro to take a project with me on the road, and I copied 2.24 terabytes in 20 minutes. I mean, that's really fast. So to me, I want that kind of speed and the ability to put all of my archive footage on drives like that. So I don't, I can, I can back everything up to fast drives rather than these really cheap, slow Seagate drives. So here's the change I'm going to make. I haven't done this yet, but OWC, Otherworld Computing, who's been around since like the 80s, if you go on their website, they have different RAID enclosures you can buy. And they've started coming out with Thunderbolt 4 RAID enclosures. I'm going to buy one of their Thunderbolt RAID enclosures that is about $800. And um, I'm going to buy the one that has uh, eight bays. Now you can save money. You could get a four bay or a six bay for less money, but I'm going to buy an eight bay drive, which is about $800, just under $800. And that's an eight bay Thunderbolt four uh, raid enclosure. Now it doesn't have drives in it. You put them in yourselves, uh, or you can buy drives already installed from OWC, but it's cheaper to do it yourself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy this $800 eight bay Thunderbolt 4 RAID drive for, for 800 bucks. And then I'm going to go on to B&H's website where on B&H Photo, you can buy um, Seagate makes a uh, 7200 RPM spinning disk drive that is uh, 20 terabytes. As far as I'm aware, it's the largest single capacity spinning disk drive you can buy. And that 20 terabyte spinning disk drive if you buy eight of them and you put them into this eight bay eight, eight bay RAID enclosure from Otherworld Computer Computing, you can build a 160 terabyte RAID drive. That's a lot of footage, 160 terabytes. Well, the thing is, is it doesn't really cost all that money, all that much money. Like the the OWC drive is eight hundred dollars. Well, these these drives from Seagate that are um, internal 7200 RPM, 20 terabyte drives, they only cost $400. So you could buy eight of those for $3,200, meaning that for a total of $4,000, you can build a 160 terabyte RAID drive. That is insane. And if you set it up at RAID zero or otherwise known as striping, you can create a single 
super crazy fast 160 terabyte Thunderbolt 4 RAID drive. That is nuts. And it's not really that big. It doesn't eat up a lot of space. So I'm going to build one of those for four grand and I'm going to take every single hard drive I own, all of them, which is a, about 80 terabytes worth, and I'm going to put all of that onto these, um, these, uh, the, this uh, RAID drive that I'm going to build from OWC so that all of my content is in one place on one drive and it'll be accessed via Thunderbolt 4. And that will give me the ability to access any file at any time on one place. And when I come home from a project and I go to backup footage, I don't have to pull these stupid Seagate drives off the shelves. I don't have to buy them anymore. I can just simply take a copy of what I'm working on and drag it to that RAID drive and have it on that RAID drive and then have that RAID drive auto backup to the cloud. So I have one here in the office and one in the cloud. And so that's what I'm going to do. And for $4,000, it's really not a lot of money when you think about it, because I charge my clients $40 a terabyte anyway. And on top of that, this drive I'm only gonna fill half of it up. I've got 10 years of content that's heating up about 80 terabytes right now. So that that means, you know, less, I'm shooting, my, my projects are eating up more and more space every day. So, but, but I should be able to get like, you know, five or six years probably still on this drive because I still have about 80 terabytes of free drive space left. So I have, I have plenty of room to grow. So everything I've done over the last 10 years will be on this drive and I'll probably get five or six more years out of it. And that's that's awesome. And then at that point, I can just buy another one and have two of them and keep them both hooked up to my computer. And now I have three 320 terabytes and that'll last me you know another 10 plus years. Well, the thing is, is I, I really need two of them. I'm going to start with one I'm not going to delete anything from the other drives. You might hear my wife coming in. I think she just got home from working out with the baby. So that's what that is. Uh, what I'm going to do is when I come home, or excuse me, she's home. Sorry, I'm saying what I'm thinking. Um, what I'm going to do is, is I'm ultimately going to buy two of those because I want to have um, two two versions, one 160 byte, gigabyte uh, drive that I back everything up to. And then I'm going to build a second one that's going to sit right beside it. That's going to be connected to it with a cable. And I'm going to use carbon copy cloner to auto back it up. That way, whenever I dump everything, when I come home from a project and I dump everything to this 160 gigabyte RAID drive, it'll auto clone to the second 160 gigabyte RAID drive. That way I have two 160 gigabyte no, I'm saying gigabyte, terabyte, sorry. I'll have two 160 terabyte RAID drives that are cloned, mirrored copies of each other. And then those will back up to the cloud. So I'll have two, two copies at home, RAID drive, 160 gigabyte RAID 1 and 160 gigabyte, or terabyte, sorry, I keep saying gigabyte, terabyte RAID 2, and then a third location offsite on the cloud, which is exciting. That way I have access to everything instantly. I have an instant backup at all times of everything I do. And then on the cloud will always be a, a, an emergency backup copy. And again, um, the cloning program, when I delete something, it'll delete it from the backup, but give me a safety net. So if I ever accidentally delete something, I do have a safety net for it. And on this system, I'll probably make the safety safety net safety net more like seven days, just for safety's sake. But um, 
Anyway, that's what I'm gonna build. So I'm eventually gonna get rid of all these Seagate drives, storage drives I have, and move everything over to these two RAIDs. So for $8,000, um, I'll be able to do that. For the first, I'm gonna do it one at a time, because uh, I don't have eight grand to spend right now, um, but I'm gonna, buy, I'm gonna build one for four grand and then get all of my footage on it and then keep all my Seagate drives for the time being. And then eventually I'll build the second one and then use Carbon Copy Cloner to copy everything from the first one to the second one. And at that point, I'll get rid of the Seagate drives and that'll be my new system. And then that way, every time I come home, I just have one place to drag my files to and it'll auto back up to the other and every and I can access everything in one spot at one time. And it'll all be fast. I mean, you could even edit off these drives if you had to because they'll all be running at RAID 0 over Thunderbolt 4, and I'm sure I'll be getting over a thousand megabytes per second um, uh, read-write speeds, even though they're spinning disk drives. Now, it's still not as fast as my SSD RAID drive, um, but it's still plenty fast enough if you want to pull up an old project and make some changes too. So that's what I'm moving toward in the future, but that's my system. I also have an iPad Pro 11 um, with a one, it's got a, the M1 chip in it with a 16 gigabytes of RAM, which is really cool for an iPad. And it has... Um, it has a one terabyte internal SSD. I use that to sometimes if I'm working on some photos on the road or if I'm, um, you also use it with a teleprompter app. I have a teleprompter that it projects to, and then I'll use it for um, moving videos to, uh, to, I keep like an archive of finished videos on my iPad. So when I go to meetings, I can play example videos to clients and it has great speakers in it. So my clients can see and hear um, what, you know, example projects. And I use it to draw notes on with my magic pen or pencil or whatever. And uh, so I also have that in my office and I use that as well. So that's like my entire system. Um, anyway, I don't know if I went over a lot of y'all's heads or maybe you got bored a long time ago and turned this off at, you know, 10 minutes in. I wouldn't blame you because there's a lot of specs here, but it's kind of a nerd out podcast. And for anybody that's, um, you know, listened this far, you must be dedicated. <laughs> But uh, hopefully you got something out of it. That's my system. That's what I'm working on today. Uh, or I, and, and what I've kind of my system has been for the last like 10 years. I've just updated some parts um, and I'm excited to update the RAID drives um, little by little. But that's that's where I am now and where I'm headed to uh, tomorrow. What do you add it off of? Um, do you, are you a PC guy? Are you a Mac guy or gal? Um, do you use RAID drives? Uh, like, tell me, tell me in the comments on the Filming with Josh Facebook group um, what you work off of and uh, what what you think about my system. I'd love to know your thoughts and and let's start a conversation about it all over at the Filming with Josh page. So again, if you're not a member of Filming with Josh, ask to join the group today, and I'll be sure to see your request and approve it. And uh, until then, guys, I'll see you all next time. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.